This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that are as cute as they are comfy. And ladies, these are designed for workouts and your everyday life. Just pick your size and your style, and you'll never have to think about what's in your panty drawer again, because badass women need panties that live up to our adventures. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey, hey, hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Holla. Halacha. So today we have a fantastic guest for you guys, Heidi Schauster. She has a book called Nourish, How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self. And uh, Kristen and I, you and I did this interview today, and I thought she was fantastic. Oh, she was amazing. Really amazing. And she really reflects our ethos about you know radical self-love and acceptance of yourself. And we talk all about like diets and why they don't work and intuitive eating. But the thing that I just sort of hooked on in this interview, and I think you feel the same way, was that she really tries not to make remarks about a person's appearance to the point like she doesn't really even pay a lot of compliments about someone's appearance. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys or talk to you guys about like, what do you think about that philosophy? Man, I think that is so interesting. And it's something that um, I've heard a lot about, like when you talk to especially young girls, to not really focus on like what they're wearing or um, or what they look like, but to, um, you know, talk more about like what they're interested in. Be like, oh, you know, you did that with a lot of bravery or that looks really creative or something like that. Um, that's less appearance focused, but I've never actually really thought about it doing it like on the adult level, which I think is interesting. I mean, just this morning when I dropped Gwen off at her preschool, I was like, you know, one of her teachers got her haircut and I was like, wow, your hair looks super great today. <laughs> so I think sometimes it's hard not to like say something about someone's appearance when it changes yeah. drastically, you know, and you actually do like think it looks like really, really great. I mean, you, you want to give people good things, but yeah, I'm like, okay, well then what do you, what do you say? Like, I really, especially like in passing with someone that you kind of, it's just more of an acquaintance than someone you like really know. Like I could give you guys like awesome compliments about your personalities and your giving nature and your sense of humor and everything like that. But I don't, I don't know. Like, right. That's a good somebody point. Somebody's walking by. I'm like, uh, well, you and I seem to have a depth of your soul today. <laughs> But I really love the sentiment. So I'm, I'm curious to see what she says about it. What do you guys think? You know, I think that complimenting somebody, like if you see someone and you like their dress, telling them that you like their dress is fine. And I don't think that, I don't think she means that you should never, you know, take notice and comment on anything like in physical appearance, period. But I think it's more the idea of, you know, if, if you're always commenting on superficial things or, you know, even things like saying, wow, you look great. Did you lose weight? Which I think we've discussed here before yeah, because that gets loaded. that's so freaking loaded. But, you know, talking about like, hey, you know, I noticed that you've been at the gym every day this week. Um, you know, I've seen you there. It's really awesome to see, you know, to see a friendly face. Good work, you know, or yeah, I mean, when you know somebody better, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly much easier to comment 
on something, you know, at a deeper level than someone who you really, you really don't know. Um, and I'm with you, Jen, where I have, I've been trying to incorporate this when it comes to children for quite a while, because I, I do think that that's really important because it's really easy for, um, for young girls in particular, but boys as well, to get pretty caught up in in their appearance and what that's saying and how people are reacting to it. And then you can start trying to um, control that image more and more strongly, and especially with things like social media and all of that. So yeah, like it, it does put a little more of a burden on us as the complimenter to find more. But I find that if I'm really paying attention and looking, there's usually something. Or if I don't have a compliment to give, perhaps there's a conversation I can start. You know, like, hey, have you read something recently? And then that can lead to something else. And oh, wow, you've got really interesting insights there. I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, I think feel questions like are good. <laughs> yeah. I feel like questions are always good. I always think like, that's kind of the thing I almost go to if I can't get to like, you know, yeah, questions. Like, what do you... Everyone, everyone likes to get questions about themselves. They well, do. not everyone. But you know, I mean, it's nice, even if you're uncomfortable with being the center of attention, I feel like it has to feel nice to know that people care. Yeah. And our list, and I mean, and then you have to listen to their answer. Well, yes. No, that's, that's the other piece. I will say that thing about like young girls. So my daughter has, I mean, she has strikingly beautiful red hair and it's, it's, it's truly gorgeous. I, I, I think She's I can say that fairly objectively. Uh, yeah. So she, she we, there's nowhere, thank you, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, someone comments on our hair. We never go somewhere without someone commenting on Like, oh, you have such beautiful hair. You have such beautiful hair. And she does. Like, it is just a weird, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, even like, I was brushing this morning and I'm like, oh, that's so pretty. Like, <laughs> it's hard not to. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, Gwen, what color are those M&Ms that you're eating? Because I have to bribe her with M&Ms to brush her hair. <laughs> It's 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 interesting waters to to navigate. Yeah, I, I have an Margo, issue. What's what's your feeling on that? Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, I have a hard time. Like when I see I, I when I see somebody's children, I of course want to tell them how beautiful they are because I think they're all beautiful. All my friends, kids, friends. I mean, some of them I like more than others, but I think they're all you know, kids are cute. They're like puppies and kittens. You know, they're little people, and it's kind of hard to not get adorable around them. But I get it that like when I was little, a girl told me that I had a witch's chin. And to this day, I think Aww. I have a pointy chin. And I don't, no one's ever in my life ever like, ooh, what's, what's, what's going on with that chin, Margo? We, we, we could fix that or something. But yeah, it's something you can hear compliments all the time or also just one person says something critical. It can kind of stay with you. I have, um, I had an issue with a guy. Uh, I teach fitness and there is this older gentleman and my weight kind of fluctuates a little bit. But when I'm on the leaner side, he would come up to me and make a point of saying, Margo, you're looking really lean right now. You're looking really good. I'm noticing that. I just want you to know I'm noticing that. And it, ugh. Ugh, and it made me so uncomfortable. And it's so hard to like, especially somebody who's older, like he thinks he's paying me a huge compliment. But yeah. he's also making me really self-conscious like oh so last week I wasn't you know approachable or uh, last week I didn't look right good. yeah you yeah. know and that's so yeah I, I, I can understand mm -hmm. both ways I mean I, I like the sentiment though that she says of like really trying to go outside of another person's appearance especially in you know an adult and looking for other things like oh you look happy you know you look rested or yeah. something yeah it's, it's yeah. hard 
Well, and not everyone really, I mean, sometimes people feel really uncomfortable to receive a compliment. I think that's kind of another thing, you know, and it's not, that's not always a conversation starter because I know sometimes people will be like, oh, I really like your, you know, leggings or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and then then I'm going to like, oh, what's the next phase of this conversation? Because sometimes I'm socially awkward, you know, Um, (laughs) I'm like, well, then I like your this, you know, and then you're, I don't know, back and forth, but. Oh, I'm the queen of texting two hours later and saying, oh, by the way, I noticed that you had a new haircut. It looked really nice. I didn't think to say anything in the moment because <laughs> like, I, because I live my life behind a computer and I am not used to actual in-person face-to-face interaction. Um, yeah, they can be scary so, sometimes. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I ask the six questions that would be logical follow-ups to a conversation that I'm having. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> it's hard to be a human. It you know. It's re- it, is. it really is hard sometimes and I think that's part of the reason we have the show cuz like we're trying to, you know, learn more and do better and be better and I think I I'm just want to say you guys I want to I, I love you guys. I think I've I've been learning so much doing this show and and Heidi was a great guest and really like made me think quite a bit about like how I talk to people and how yeah. I, and how I talk to myself basically. Yeah, mm, that, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, what is, what's one compliment that you guys would like to, to give or to receive? What do you think is something cool and meaningful that maybe someone wouldn't necessarily think to bring up? Oh, Just wow. in general? Yeah. I say with my good friend, um, she, we, this is our favorite question we have for each other is what are you reading? Cause we're both really into books. And I love that question when you ask people, cause you yeah. get so many interesting answers. Usually, I mean, every once in a while I have the awkward, like I never read. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay. <laughs> That's for me. Yeah. I, um, I guess as far as like a question goes, kind of like a, like what lights you up, I think is always a, and that's a little, I mean, that's kind of a little strange to just walk into me like, Hey, well, I'll light you up. But just like, what are you into? Like, what are you like, really? Like, what's your kind of life passion? I've clearly just listened to a lot of Daniel Laporte over the years. Cause you're like, you can't say what turns you on. That's an entirely different conversation. <laughs> um, Unless that's what you want to know. In which right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> know your audience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like kind of like what, what really like brings you brings you joy in life because you know we spend a lot of times complaining but not focusing on that but in terms of, like a compliment I think if someone notices that you're thoughtful mm. or a good listener mm. I think those are kind of I don't know someone who's really really thoughtful is will always kind of like make a huge impact I feel like on your life so it's something that should be noted yeah I love that what about you Kristen um you well, ask I think questions. You got to answer I, it. I absolutely. So I am a big fan of both questions that you guys brought up. Um, I also like when somebody has has shown that they have similar musical tastes as yeah. I do. I mm. like to ask them. You know, if not our famous, you know, what's the last song you listened to before you join me for this non-podcast interview? I also like just to find out who they're listening to and what they're into. The two best compliments that I think. I may have ever received. One was someone told me that I was um, a good listener and conversationalist, which I appreciated hugely because I 
Yes, we were just talking about I'm like, sometimes I don't even know how to ask a follow up question in real, like in person. Um, so that was, that was really nice. And it made me continue to try hard to be people. And then the other one is that a, a friend noticed that I am all for getting the most out of life. And I, I love that because I, that's what I want to do. And that's what I hope I project. And that's what I hope I inspire in the people I'm around is like, you know, it's out there, grab it, do Mm -hmm. it, be it, you know, don't wait for tomorrow, just like make it happen now. And I don't always hit that mark. But so that's something that I look, I look for things like that in other people, because for one thing, that's an indication that they're probably my kind of people. But also because I know how how meaningful it was to hear that from somebody. So I like to pass that along. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys get the most out of life. So, Yay. and you're also a very good conversationalist because <laughs> why would I be doing a podcast with you? Right. We all love each other. It's just a love fest here. Yay. All right. So let's just go right into our interview with uh, Heidi Schauser. Here we go, you guys. Remember, this episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that we absolutely adore. Ladies, you got to check them out at lovemyskivvies.com. Okay, that's L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S.com. And for being a listener, you can even save 25% off your first month. Just enter the code FBG, that's for Fit Bottom Girls, FBG, at checkout, and you're good to go. Again, that's lovemyskivvies.com, L-U-V. M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S dot com. Heidi Schauster is a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and clinical supervisor with over 20 years of experience in the field, as well as her own recovery history. She is the founder of Boston-based Nourishing Words Nutrition Therapy. Heidi is the author of Nourish, How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self, She is a health-at-every-size practitioner who believes in weight-inclusiveness wellness and diet culture liberation. She runs the No Diet Book Clubs and sees individual nutrition therapy clients in her office in the greater Boston area. A lifelong dancer and proud mama of twin 12-year-old daughters, she can sometimes be found in the throes of a dishwashing dance party or digging around in her gardens. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It's This is FBG Margo, and on the line today with FBG Kristen. Hey, guys. Hey, so I'm going to ask you the first question. We're just going to jump right into this interview and talk about your new book, Nourish. So you base it on your 20 years experience with people who have emotional and disordered eating. So can you talk about the key steps you outline to help anybody that's struggling with these kinds of issues? Sure. I had discovered that in my work over the last 20 years, so many people were asking me, could you recommend a good basic book on nutrition? And I couldn't do that in sort of good conscience because so many nutrition and diet books out there are are just that, they're diet books or they're diet oriented or kind of focused on changing weight And for my clients in particular who struggle with food and body image issues, there were so many triggering points in a lot of the books that are out there. So I wanted to create something that could be used 
by someone obviously in recovery from food issues, but really for anyone who has kind of a funky relationship with food. So yes, there are 10 steps in this book, kind of 10 steps to basically heal your relationship with food, body, and self is my subtitle. But the steps aren't linear. They're not designed to be followed necessarily in order. Um, In fact, you go back often in particular to some of the steps around body image, probably throughout the process. And I'm happy to talk about some in particular, if you like. It sounds like you're interested in hearing about that. Sure. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, So so the first couple of steps are kind of more like, I guess you would say theoretical. They're more about kind of letting go of a diet-oriented mentality and also working on body acceptance. You don't have to love your body and love every nook and cranny of it, but you do have to sort of accept where you are at this moment and kind of what put you in this place at this moment and work to sort of accept and find a way to love and take care of it. I have found that over the years, when people are feeling really negative about their bodies and sort of, you know, bad mouthing their bodies constantly, it's really hard to make changes in their self-care habits because they just loathe themselves and it's, it's, it just doesn't get that far. And there's, it becomes this sort of cycle of disappointment in oneself over and over. So kind of working on this sense of, I don't have to love everything about my body, but I need to sort of appreciate my body and accept it and, you know, kind of work from that framework in order to make changes in my life and in my health habits. Does that make sense? Yeah. So those are, okay. Yeah. Those are the two first sort of steps. And then the next step is um, doing some awareness work, awareness of your own food habits, your, you know, your relationship with food, kind of where your habits around food and self-care have come from. I actually believe, and I've noticed this over the years, that people do better making change happen if they actually do awareness and change separately. Lots of times people will come to my office and they want to change so many things all at once, but they're actually not even really aware of some of their own food and movement habits that are kind of getting them in trouble. So it's sort of working on that awareness piece first and not, and actually holding off on that part of you that wants to change until you really understand your habits and kind of where they come from. Could you elaborate a little bit on some of the things that you ask people to be aware of? Like, are we talking about like mindless snacking or, or bigger issues than that? Well, actually a little bit of everything. Mindless snacking and like kind of mindless eating is definitely something that I might work with someone on. If they get to the end of the day and they can't kind of remember when they ate or where they ate and they just know they ate somewhere along the line, then obviously that's something we'd work on. I also work with people who are so regimented about their food that they could tell me what they ate last week because it's kind of the same. And it's looking at those patterns and kind of what's, how they've gotten laid down and why and why they're helpful or not helpful. And it also might be exploring some of what's behind your sort of food Um, ways. Like one of the things that I ask everyone when they first come to see me is kind of what was your relationship with food like um, throughout your history? And I start with childhood as early as they can remember. What was food like in your house and what was food like in your family? And that those little, you know, those kind of habits 
that we've developed from a young age or those kind of that relationship with food that we have from a young age often informs how we operate with food now. And we can start to to sort of recognize, oh, I have this habit because this is what I watched my family members do or, or like in my case, like, oh, I was one of seven kids. So I have this habit of I better eat it now or someone else will, you know, that, that was same my, here, my by the way, <laughs> <laughs> grab a yeah. family, four kids. Yep. Yep. So, so you kind of like notice where some of your habits came from and understand them. And then you're able to actually have some compassion for yourself for like why you have these habits that you don't really understand. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's, that's why I eat so fast. Um, and you have some compassion for that. And then with, through that compassion and sort of acceptance of where you're at, you're able to then go ahead and make change. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I love that because we, we actually talk a lot about finding your why when it comes to, um, you know, both like eating and nutrition and fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's, that's just like a step farther. So I, I love that. So I also love, you know, you have, you have a commitment to weight inclusive wellness and diet culture liberation. And, you know, we're always talking about finding ways to, um, to love yourself to a place of better health versus like exercising or eating, you know, angrily eating a salad out of um, spite or as a punishment because you had cake yesterday. Right. So could you share some ways that your approach differs aside from the, um, you know, the steps that you just discussed, um, some of the other ways that, that your approach really differs from what we see in kind of the traditional health and wellness industry? Hmm. Well, I, and I've just got through like step three of the 10, believe it or not, there's there's more, um, too, because it's this hard work to actually make change that actually is sustainable. Uh, and I, and I think what's different about my approach than what you might sort of see in the mainstream around health and fitness is that I'm, at least I'm trying to come from a place of connection to the body and the self. And I'm not saying that that all approaches to health and fitness are disconnected from the body at all. I'm not saying that. Um, but at least in the population that I tend to work with, there's often quite a disconnect. Choices are made about exercise and eating that are not necessarily connected to what do I want, what feels really good and yummy in my body, what forms of movement like really satisfy me and just seem to connect with like who I am physically. So I think I mean, there's lots of little nuances that might be different, but I think what's unique about where I'm coming from in my writing and in my work is that I'm really trying to work with like a full bodied connection in making choices about health and well-being. And that is not actually generally connected at all to somebody's body size. In fact, I'm really interested in, and I know you folks are as well, sort of encouraging people of all different shapes and sizes and bodies and abilities to find ways to move that feel good and nourishing and also find ways to eat that feel good and nourishing. And then beyond that, you know, in in some of the later steps, it's also finding self-care practices that really support you and who you are as a whole person, both body, mind, and spirit. So it's, it's a bit of a holistic view of the person, um, not just focusing on health and 
wellness and the body per, per se, but kind of thinking about yourself as a whole person and kind of what your values are and what connects you to um, the world and kind of how do you want to move about in the world? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. That, that certainly does. So let's go into the topic of exercise because you prefer sure. to say, to talk about conscious, joyful movement versus exercise. So can you kind of elaborate on that concept of conscious, joyful movement? Sure. Um, I don't have a problem with the word exercise, but since so many of my clients have like in their histories, their sort of disordered eating histories have used exercise almost as a way to say purge or to, you know, feel some kind of sense of control in their life when other things in their life were out of control. And it can kind of get a dirty word kind of association with it for some of my clients. I sort of use the term movement because it just feels more less triggering, if that makes sense. Um, I don't have a problem with the word exercise, but I just find that movement is less triggering for most, um, for all people. So in terms of conscious, joyful movement, that's the title, like title of my step six. It's really about finding the forms of movement that are nourishing that actually feel good in your body and feel good to your soul. Now, like it might be cycling, for example, for you, that just feeds your body and soul. And it might be swimming and dancing for me. Um, And it might be running for someone else. And it actually might be, you know, just stretching and doing some gentle yoga, or maybe on different days, it could be something different. Like when I'm having a day where I feel sort of tired, and my body doesn't feel like doing anything vigorous at all, you know, doing some gentle stretching after a long day of sitting or whatever might be the movement that's actually nourishing for me. So it's actually using your body's wisdom and your body's information about deciding how to move or exercise as opposed to a prescriptive way, which is sort of more mind driven, if that makes sense. Like we, when we, when we say, okay, I'm going to work out this much this week. It's a mind-driven exercise. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's it helps people to sort of stay on track with their fitness goals. And I don't have a, necessarily a problem with that. But if it's not also connected to the body, then I think it can lead to injury. And it can also lead to sort of a disconnected sense of self-care where maybe you're over-exercising and not fueling yourself enough with food to compensate for that. Or maybe you're under-exercising and like dealing with this restless energy because your food and and exercise, food and movement, you might say, are not connected. So it's really just staying connected to the body throughout that process. Do you have any any really specific tips for helping someone discover what that joyful movement is for them, aside from just saying, no, try different things, see what fits? Because I know, you know, for somebody who already enjoys, you know, who enjoys being active – that's not hard, but for someone who has such a, um, you know, such a difficult and conflicted past with, you know, with conscious movement like that, it can be a little bit trickier. Absolutely. Um, and I always recommend that people get help when they're trying to change their habits and they come against a lot of resistance because usually that resistance is meaningful and requires right. some work. Um, And it might be working with a nutrition therapist who has kind of an eating disorder background like I do. It might be working with a particular kind of coach or um, psychotherapist who does 
this kind of work. So I, I just definitely recommend that. I don't want to leave that out of the equation. Um, but you're right. Like, how do you, how do you find the type of movement that's nourishing for you if, if you're not a natural mover, for, for example? And I often yeah. just like start with a few questions, like, you know, thinking about, do you like to be outside or inside more when you move? Uh, and that might be a simple question. Someone who maybe has some exercise resistance may not have a lot of resistance to actually being outside in the sunshine. And that might be a place to start. Like, do you like to move your body alone or do you like to move your body with others more? And these are just simple kind of open-ended, you know, questions where they can explore, you know, what types of moving seem more inviting to them. You know, some people really like to have their time to move by themselves. And some people really do better in community, like playing a game or, or taking a class or something like that. And asking when is your physical, when do you have the most physical energy naturally in your body? Some people are night owls and some people are morning people. Um, And just kind of thinking about, well, your own physical body energy, when, where does it occur most? And that might give you a clue to the times of day that might be best to try to incorporate some kind of joyful movement. And how does it fit best, like in the big scheme of your life? Some people find that they need to move almost daily because they have a, a strong kind of restless energy in their body and actually movement helps them not be so anxious. Some people actually don't love to move, but know that for their longevity and their sort of, you know, overall sustainability as a person moving about in a physical body in the world, that some type of movement is positive. And so that, you know, they're trying to figure out, well, where are the places where I could fit that in that would be inviting? Maybe going for a walk with my neighbor um, would be some like get my connection needs met and also get my movement needs met. And then also, yeah, thinking about like what type of movement actually makes you feel grounded in your body. For some people, it's vigorous movement. And for some people, it's sort of slow, deliberate movement and it might like something like tai chi or yoga might be better for them because they're just trying to sort of feel grounded in their body and that, you know that in and of itself could be complicated if somebody doesn't like to feel connected to their body or there are reasons they have a trauma history you know reasons why they don't love being in their body then obviously there's a lot more that can be worked on but we're just scratching the surface say you suspect a friend or a loved one of having some kind of an eating disorder or food disorder, what are the best steps to take to help them? I mean, I know people can get pretty defensive about that. So what would be your advice? That's a great question. I love that question. It's so hard to bring someone to get help that they need when they don't see that they need help. And so trying to sort of force someone into your idea of what they need is is going to backfire. I, I generally think that the most important way we can reach out to people if we see them struggling with any kind of mental health issue, and I think particularly with disordered eating, is to just express concern and love. You know, you see them as a whole person. You see them um, as someone that you care about, that you're worried about. You know, you could say, I you know, always speak from yourself, like from your own standpoint, as opposed to pointing a finger and saying you, but you could say, I see you eating a lot less than 
you used to eat like a month ago. And, you know, I'm also seeing you looking really tired and worn out. I'm worried about you. I care about you. Is there anything that I can do to help? I think that's always the best approach. That makes sense. Absolutely. So this is something that we have talked to a few people about, and I think that you're going to have some really good insight because, you know, people can feel very conflicted about the idea of loving their body, you know, exactly as it is in this moment in time, but still wanting to lose weight. And I'm assuming that you have clients come to you and, you know, in their mind, their, their goal is, well, you know, I'm, I'm overweight. I'd like to drop pounds or I'd like to, you know, just feel better in my body. So what are some of the ways that you guide your clients with regard to that? Because you do want to acknowledge that, you know, I mean, when you have goals of becoming fitter, like that's, you know, that's valid, but you don't want that to be a trigger. You don't want that to, you know, it's, it's really never about, you know, looking a certain way in a bikini it's always so much deeper than that. But I know with the, with the people we talk to and the, the folks we work with, often that's the, that's the thing that gets them to take action. So how, how do you handle that? That is like such a million dollar question. It's a great right? question. Um, <laughs> and I, I actually wrote a, um, a blog post about this, I think a couple of years ago about, you know, can you actually learn to eat intuitively and mindfully and still want to lose weight. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a big question. I have to say that I'm obviously biased because I've worked in the disordered eating field for 20 years and I'm really careful about not creating a situation that could trigger more disordered eating. Um, and so my stance as a professional, and this is my, this is my own stance, is that I don't um, do weight loss counseling and I won't do it. I, feel, I, I personally feel that it's not ethical myself because I, it, there is research that shows that you know, 96% of people who go on any kind of weight loss diet will gain the weight back. So I feel like that's not very, 4% is not very good odds. So I don't do weight loss focused counseling in my nutrition counseling. So I I let people know that if their goal is losing weight, that if they want to work with me, they will have to put it somewhat on the back burner. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, obviously I validate that they feel uncomfortable in their body and they want, they perhaps want something else. And we can certainly talk about weight and we can talk about that, but that the goal has to first be finding ways to create habits that make them feel good. Because I think weight loss is, is tricky in that it can often make us do things with food and exercise that override that connection with the body. And I don't want to have anyone override their connection with their body. I want them to work with their body to make change. So I, you know, as long as somebody's willing to put it sort of more on the back burner and they really just want to work on their relationship with food and their relationship with movement and exercise first and foremost, often what happens is their body ends up, you know, going to a place where it's meant to be. And for some people that's weight loss. For some people it's not weight loss. For some people it's actually weight gain. It kind of depends on the person and I never make any kind of guarantee because I just see metabolically that people are in so many different places. So um, I really try not to 
create a situation where someone's going to feel like a failure if they don't lose weight. But ideally, when they're done with doing a piece of work on their relationship with food, they should feel more connected and feel better about their body and feel um, like their habits are more in line with the person that they want to be. And that's that tends to be my focus. And um, it can be really, it can be a lot of work to shift someone from that place to um, really wanting their relationship with food and body and self to be primary. But I think it's worth it. It really, people are happier when they're not obsessed with their body and food in the way that they are when they're trying to lose weight. So that's my bias. It's a great one. Yeah. I, yeah. Fully, fully support. Mm-hmm. Love it. And it's, and it's supported by the research actually too. I mean, I think, I think as a culture, um, and I, I'm going to try not to get into my like activist place, but you know, I, I will a little, I think, but as a culture, we Please really do. unfortunately stigmatize um, people in larger bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I am coming from thin privilege when I say that. So I don't really know what it's like to walk into a store and not have any clothes there that could even remotely fit them. Um, myself, I don't, I don't have that experience. So I, I I'm going to name my privilege right off the bat, but I really think we do all people a disservice by saying that one particular body type is the ideal. And I think we do it on like lots of subtle, subtle, subtle levels as a culture. We're not like, you know, and some not so subtle, but what happens is when people feel bad about themselves, it really doesn't create a situation where they want to take care of their bodies and feel good in their bodies. And like, it doesn't encourage people in larger bodies, for example, to move when they feel stigmatized to be out in public in their body. So I I think we have to be really, really careful about all of our language around this. And I'm so heartened by the body positive movement that I'm seeing in social media where people are just trying to put more images of diverse women's bodies out there, um, diverse bodies of all genders, and saying that we're all lovable and acceptable and um, worthy of being healthy. Yeah. So we've talked about like representation. Really, we've talked about that more as it pertains to um, to race. But you know, I think that there's there's a point to be made here that in terms of you know body shapes, sizes, all of that. I mean, there's there's a lot of work to be done. So from you know from your activist soapbox, like <laughs> let us have it. Like what what are things that we and by we I mean you know those of us who have some platform and then those of us who just live out in the world as human beings, what are simple things that we need to be doing to, to help this along? I love that you asked that question. I'm, gl- I'm so glad I can stay on the soapbox. <laughs> I think we can, sh- we need to show different body types moving around and doing lots of different things. And that's, that's a bigger, you know, a bigger goal for all of our advertisers out there. And I think what the other thing that we can do is like when we greet someone, we not like make a comment about like how cute they look or, you know, oh, I, oh, you look like you lost weight or whatever it is, like as the first thing that we say to someone, like let's as, you know, women and particular, but I think as people of all genders, let's like greet each other with like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. It's so, I'm so happy to see you like, and let it not be about how cute someone looks or, um, because I think again, it, it creates like an external, um, value as opposed to this intrinsic value that we all have as human beings. So, and, and as we, 
as we go about our day, I think noticing when our own biases around size come up, like what assumptions are we making when we see um, a large person who's maybe struggling? Um, do we say something in our minds that's judgmental? Do we use, you know, kind of negative words? Um, and can we just be more aware of that? Because similar to race, there's a lot of like behind the consciousness stuff that happens around body size um, in this culture. And I think in some ways it's one of those like last sanctioned isms. Like, like you can see it everywhere, like movies and like ads on TV. And you know, there's still a lot of like fat stigmatization out there, which is really not helpful. No, it isn't. Um, do you follow Roxane Gay? Um, uh, her book is amazing. Uh, I haven't read all of it, but the, a part of it that I've read, I've just been like, I love her. Yeah, she's like, she's someone who's not afraid to like to speak out about this. Yeah, yeah. I follow her on Twitter and it's like a beautiful thing. And um, she wrote a book called Hunger and she's a bigger sized person. And I, I literally, if you follow her on Twitter, at least once a week, somebody just emails, tweets at her diet advice. And she's just like, mf -er, did you not read my book? I wrote a whole book about this. Like, you don't mm -hmm. need to lecture me. But it's, I, so I'm going to ask you, like, about social media and self-image. Do you think, what do you think is going on with that with Twitter? Is it helping? Is it hurting? Like, what do you think about that? Oh, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm like, I'm 47. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not as social media savvy as some of my younger colleagues. But I have to say that social media can be like a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, I think that because so many more young people are hanging out on social media, taking selfies, like, like our images, in some ways are even more important than they were before we had all these pictures everywhere. And so I think that's, oh, that's dangerous because again, it, it takes us outside of our deep selves and um, puts so much emphasis on our image. That said, like someone like Roxane Gay um, and other fat activists then, you know, that are out there can get their messages out there and can help people sort of not feel alone with their struggle and the stigmatization that they feel and it can create more activism in the world um, around these issues. So, you know, I think it can be I think it can be a blessing and a curse. I mean, there are a lot of people out there right now on Instagram who are sort of taking pictures of their like gorgeous, voluptuous bodies and saying, I like how I look. And and that, I think that's wonderful because I think we're getting more images of diverse body types than we do in like, say, the mainstream media. That said, like those people often will state that they open themselves up to lots of criticism when they do that and harshness. So I think, you know, I think there's going to, you know, there's all, it's always good to have a dialogue and have more discussion of these topics. But I think, you know, I think there's the struggle in there too. And there's certainly like a lot of of people who will make a comment like that person did to Roxane Gay, um, and they're you know they can say what they need to say as well, and um, that can be hurtful. So I think you know it can be a blessing and a curse, but I think the fact that we're examining this now is huge. I mean, 20 years ago, um, when I started to do this work, I had a health at every size framework and really struggled to like hang up my shingle in that way, and also like to get people to feel on board with it. 
Um, now it's a lot easier. Like, you know, I can, I can say 20 years later, I don't do weight loss counseling and I still have a full practice. Um, I can say like, I believe in health at every size and, you know, weight inclusive wellness and people actually get that or they seek me out because they're looking for that. And I think that's, to me, that's progress. I would agree. So I'd love to talk to you a a little bit about raising children in a way that teaches them to have a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. And especially given what we were just chatting about with social media and all of these images in the media bombarding them. So, I mean, this is, you're a mom. Uh, We have Uh a lot of, a lot of moms listening. So can you talk a little bit about what's worked well for you and maybe also what you've found to be challenging when it comes to um, helping your, your kids develop that healthy, positive relationship with food and their own bodies? Great question. What I think was helpful for me from the beginning was the work of Ellen Satter. That's um, S-A-T-T-Y-R. She is a both a nutritionist and therapist who I kind of stumbled upon in the 90s. And her approach to feeding children and raising um, children to be good eaters and um, sort of not develop disordered eating, I think is kind of a gold standard. And you can, she has a website and kind of a whole institute at this point. I think she's she's still quite well known. But her, I think her division of responsibility is sort of my catchphrase that I teach to so many parents that I work with, which is that the responsibility for you as the parent is to provide a variety of good nutritious, you know, healthy food, whatever you deem, you know, that you'd like to keep in your house, like, and and have all of that food available and, you know, make it available for your kids on a regular basis, you know, with, within some regular limits. And then the child's responsibility is to actually eat it and they get to decide how much and how often and well, I mean, you'll, you'll have structured meals, but they get to decide when they're hungry and they get to decide when they're full and uh, how much they want to eat on their plate, as opposed to the parent going over into their territory, into the kid's responsibility, which is the eating part. Um, so I think that's really helpful. Like, to, like you are the provider and your child is the eater. And if you start trying to go into their territory and tell them how to eat or how to finish everything on their plate, or they should have more vegetables. Actually, you could create some little power struggles that as your child gets older and they're looking for little ways to exert their independence, you just don't want it to be about food. You'd much rather have like it be about other things. And like, and I have two almost teenagers, um, you know, you know, it, it's, I'd rather have our struggles be around curfews and uh, so in like media use and all of that stuff than to have it be around food. So really kind of keeping that division of responsibility clear. Also, I think it's so important for you to feel comfortable with your body in whatever way you can and communicate that to your child. That might mean you have to do some of your own work, but repeatedly a lot of my um, clients, both kids and then adults who are remembering their own parents, you know, they witnessed their moms often in particular saying really negative things about their bodies and sort of loathing their bodies and kind of learned that that's, that's what you do, um, that you're always at war with your body. And I think, I think any work that 
I think you can do as a parent to not only take good care of yourself, but really work on body acceptance is huge because they will pick up that energy for sure. And, and I think everything that we've been talking about, this sort of, um, the, you know, fat stigma, the weight stigma is important to talk about with your kids. You know, I had a, I have a daughter who, you know, recently told me that she was worried about a friend, a friend's eating. And the friend was talking about like being too fat. And she said to her, she said, first of all, she's like, you're really not too fat. You're, you know, you're not at all. And even if you were like, what's the big deal? That's just a different body type. And I love that. I was like, I've brainwashed my kids properly. (laughs) I just got chills. I know. Oh my gosh. If the girls in, and, and myself included, like if we had spoken to one another like that in, well, honestly, starting in elementary school, God, what a different world. Well, we can do it little by little right now, you know, with all the, all the little ones we encounter, you know, when you, you know, I always say like when you get together with your little nieces and nephews um, at family gatherings, like, you know, don't comment about how cute their hair and dresses look the whole time. Like actually compliment them on things that you see, you really appreciate about them as a whole person. And um, so, you know, the less body focused and more like deep, you know, self and soul focus we can be with each other, I think we do change our world subtly. And I, you know, I don't know if um, that helped my daughter's friend, but like to hear another 12 year old say, there's nothing wrong with you. And like, and even if you were fat, like, what's the big deal? Like, that's huge, I think. And, you know, I think if we can do that little by little, then we can change the culture and be more accepting. We certainly didn't have that. I, I think you and I are around the same age. Like we didn't have that when we were kids. I grew up with uh, my mom doing exercise uh, videos, you know, on every kind of diet forever. And, you know, I, I wish we had. I mean, it's, it's, it's so nice to think that this generation is going to have a little bit more, you know, body positivity. Let me ask you something else, though. Are, so talking about food and diet trends, are there any out there that you are just absolutely not on board with and why? I'm actually not on board with a lot of them. Um, (laughs) In fact, I'm not really on board with, I mean, that's kind of what my book's about. I'm not really on board with someone else telling anyone how to eat, because if you look around, we all have really diverse bodies. Mm -hmm. And how could someone else know what's best for me to eat? I believe, and this is what I work, I, I try to help people with in my work, and I also write about in this book is I really want people to learn to trust their bodies again. And I say again, because often we've like myself included, we have gone through periods where we've like not trusted our bodies. And I think our bodies have incredible deep wisdom. And if we can actually learn to work with that, we get the answers about what feels right in our bodies and what doesn't feel right. And so I'm not a fan of prescriptive eating in any way. I think that like it can be helpful to meet with someone who might help you do some experiments and like tune in. And, you know, that's the kind of work that I do, but I pretty much never tell anyone what to eat in my practice. I just make suggestions and say, let's do an experiment and see how this feels. And then if somebody is really has a severe restrictive eating disorder, I might make suggestions and kind of talk about some bottom lines around how much you need to have nutritionally to nourish yourself um, and get like kind of your meat, your basic needs met. And then we work from there. But other than that, any kind of directive 
sort of diet talk I'm not into in general and don't. And I think there's research, you know, to support it. If you took a look at the work of Linda Bacon, she wrote the book Body Respect and has a lot of resources on her website. You'll see that like in a lot of ways, the you know, our media has twisted a lot of the studies to say that the problem in the world is about weight. And so therefore we need to change our weight. We need to change our diet. But actually it's, you know, our health issues are more connected to our habits. And I don't believe that we actually form good, healthy habits when we feel bad about ourselves and when we're trying to restrictively eat or focus on food. I actually think we form healthy habits when we're connected to our body and we kind of notice what feels right for us. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Well, this has been enlightening and really wonderful. Thank you for for being so forthcoming. And I mean you know, just really candid with your answers. This is great. And I think it's something that all of our readers, regardless of where they are on their own health journeys or whether they have kids or not, like there's something everybody can take away here. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm yeah. so appreciative that you let me be on my little soapboxes. Uh, we <laughs> like your soapbox. They're fantastic. Yeah, we do. Can you um, answer and- one more question for us? Sure. Was that what you were going to, Kristen? I was, but go right ahead. Okay. I love ans- I love asking this question. So Heidi, what was yeah. the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Oh, the last music I was listening to was in the car with my kids. It was probably Sia, actually. I think it, we were belting Chandelier, actually. I love that song. <laughs> awesome. I love that song. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but pop music seems to be, you know, I've got a couple of 12 year olds. So that's like, that's what we do here. You know, when you're washing dishes, it gets you through them. It's great. (laughs) Well, thanks again for being on our show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Love this show. Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes and we'll read it on the air. Also make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.